Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the People Project podcast. I am your host, Kelsey Klein, and I created this podcast to talk about people because everyone has a story worthy of being told. Here we get real and honest, and some topics will be funny and lighthearted, but some will be very important and serious because life's all about balance. If you heard our first episode, it was based on fear and what that tells us about ourselves. And this episode will be on failing upward, not letting your failure be the end, but the beginning of your story. So I am joined today by the one and only Allie Evans. (laughs) Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk with me. Of course, I'm flattered. So, Allie, if you want to start by kind of just telling us a little bit about you and, you know, just kind of how you got to this point. Sure. Um, My name is Allie Evans. It used to be Allie Jarek Harris before I got married in 2014, which is like a whole other identity that people who met me after getting married (laughs) kind of don't even know, which is really (laughs) odd to think about when you think about how you identify like when you get married you become not you don't become another person but on paper you you do well Um, and I mean when you when you get a new social security card they literally like shred your old identity (laughs) so it's upsetting it's a fresh start for a lot of in a lot of ways yeah um but yeah I live in North Carolina I have a house with my husband about 20 minutes away from my parents house where I grew up and Um, I went to college at Appalachian State, and that's where I met my husband, Brian. Um, And I moved back after because I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. And so now I have a really, really great career in um, in advertising, in, in marketing and advertising. And yeah, I... We met on on the good old internet, so I feel like I would be yeah. remiss not to mention like our involvement in social media apps and really trying to find the good side in them and not be bogged down by the negative side of them. I feel like that's a goal you and I both really focus Absolutely. on and commit to and kind of what brings us together, I think. So Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's sort of how, where I've been and and you know where hopefully where I'm going. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess to give everybody a little bit of a background on how we came to know each other, because Mm -hmm. it was really just by chance. So Um, lucky. We both attended an event in January of 2020 before we knew what was to come. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Called Challenge Mania and it was in Nashville and I went with a couple of friends. I had every intention of going by myself, but they literally picked me up from my apartment and said, you're going with us. And they knew Allie and introduced me. And honestly, I don't know kind of how we got from that point to this point, but we really, we were connected on so many different things, personality wise and intellectually with pop culture and everything like that. And, um, you know, we're lucky enough to be involved in a really cool online community of people. And we've both made so many friends that way. And honestly, I don't know some days how I would have gotten through the craziness that was 2020 without that outlet. So that's been really neat. And, um, you know, just kind of, kind of figuring ourselves out as we go, because honestly, if anybody tries to act like they have everything together, they're lying. (laughs) So, 
Um, but so one thing that we had talked about was a big basis for this podcast was anthropology and my interest in that. And when I first got this idea, I brought it up to you and you said, oh, well, I got my degree in cultural anthropology. So (laughs) I don't know how, I mean, just another by chance thing of all things that I decided to start a podcast on. It's what you got your degree in. (laughs) And so tell me a little bit about how, this is actually a question from Dylan Grimm. Um, So what is cultural anthropology? How did you decide to study that? And then how does that incorporate into kind of what you do for a living? All that kind of good stuff. Sure. So I think like I actually sort of have to tell the whole story to answer that question because I didn't I didn't decide to get my degree in cultural anthropology. I failed into getting my degree in cultural anthropology. So growing up, I thought I was going to be a teacher. I, you know, I was one of those people that like all through high school, I said I was going to be a teacher. I went to Appalachian State. I entered, I did my general ed classes. I entered the school of education and I failed out of it. And at the time it felt like the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Mm -hmm. It was humiliating. It was degrading. It was, um, detrimental to my life. Um, it's what I had told everybody I was going to run off to college and do. And then all of a sudden I wasn't going to do it anymore because they told me I couldn't. Um, and so I sat down with my counselor, you know, that you're assigned to in college. And Mm -hmm. we basically looked at the course requirements for several different majors and basically said, which one could I finish the fastest? (laughs) What did I do? I know. What did I do during my freshman year where you're taking like gen ed and you haven't declared? What did I do then that that I could count towards just getting a degree? Because that's all that seemed to matter. I was, you know, it costs money to go to college um, and leaving wasn't really an option based on how I grew up and my parents. And um, so I, I found the Department of Anthropology. And it turned out to be the thing that I was absolutely meant to do with my life was study other people, other culture, other language, other diets, other ways of living, (laughs) other ways of design. I mean, it, it literally just like runs the whole scale. So, so cultural anthropology specifically is basically, it's like the study of, of human society and culture. So base, you know, like that, that tends to include religion because a lot of our, our cultures are shaped by the religion that we Mm -hmm. fall into. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I kind of grew up a little bit of a mean girl, to be honest. And I was popular in high school. I was the homecoming queen and, um, I very well could have gone to college, got my education degree, moved right back to where I was spent time with the same friends that influenced me, I would say for worse, not for better. And that could have been my life. And I'm so grateful for that failure because I failed into the path that I was supposed to be on. And I didn't even know it at the time, but now I'm the, I, I, I pride myself and Kelsey, you're the same way in being the type of person that, doesn't pass judgment on people 
mm-hmm. that, that wants to learn more about everyone, that thinks everyone deserves a seat at the table. And what's interesting about that is I went from being very popular and unbothered by people who were different than me to really standing out like a sore thumb in the Department of Anthropology. I went to Appalachian State, very liberal university. Um, and then you go to a very liberal major and all of a sudden, you know, I'm the girl who wears a full face of makeup to class and some of these women don't wear bras or shoes you know, and like, that's okay. But all of a sudden I didn't feel like I had a place there. And it really taught me the hard way and the way that I needed to learn that treating people like they don't belong is the most unfair thing you can do to someone because it's not up to you. It's, it's stepping into a role that you are not qualified for if you treat someone like they shouldn't be somewhere that they are. Mm-hmm. So not just studying other people and other cultures and religions and, and languages and how women are treated in different places and the, you know, power struggles and politics. And I learned it firsthand from how I was treated. So suddenly I entered this world of, of, of literally feeling like the world had opened up before me to learn and to become a student of the, of the world. But at the same time, I'm being made to feel like I had made others feel in the past. And, um, I am so great. I mean, I use it every, I use anthropology every single day of my life in being a more tolerant person and learning about people who are different from me and, and being kind and generous. I I like to think to people who can offer me nothing because that's the most important thing. So Mm -hmm. that's the very long definition of what cultural anthropology (laughs) is and how I ended up studying it. But that was, that was the first of my big failures in life. Um, and, and I'm so freaking grateful for it. Yeah. Well, I feel like so many times there's a, such a huge stigma around the word failure and sure. of, okay, you think failure, you're done, it's over, give up, you know, all your dreams are, I mean, like you said, you, you were going to be a teacher. This is, this is what you were going to do. It's what you mm-hmm. told everyone you were going to do. And now that's not happening. So now what? But I think there's so much beauty in the now what, mm-hmm. because it's unlimited potential. Instead of seeing it as something that's like holding you back, it's like, okay, now I get the chance to do anything. Right. And, and a lot of who I am, a lot of my character was built in failure. Yeah. So Like when people say like that phrase, failure is not an option. Failure is an option every single time you wake up in the morning. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's what makes it all so brave. If failure wasn't an option, anybody could do this. Absolutely. And that's what makes us human is the potential to fail and the strength and the bravery to try anyway. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I mean... It's funny, like my my college experience was unique in and of itself. And I started at University of Memphis. That's where I'm from. That's where I grew up. And I guess I technically started at University of Memphis. It's a very long story. So we'll just say that. 
Um, and I ended up on academic probation. Like I, I didn't care yeah. about school. I, you know, it was Same just, it was thing. a mess. Yeah. And I thought this is just funny. Like, I feel like half of our conversations turn into this, but <laughs> I wanted to be a teacher. So my mom and my grandma were both teachers. Um, they were English teachers. Like my grandma would recite Macbeth in her sleep, like English teacher. <laughs> and, and so, um, that's just, I was like, oh, well, that's what I want to do just because it was what I was used to hearing about. And so I, I failed and I left the university of Memphis and moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky, somewhere I had never heard of before because a girl I went to middle school with needed a roommate. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And I was like, okay, I'll move somewhere new because I was I was in a really bad place in my life when I was living in Memphis before I moved. I was just involved in a lot of toxic behavior and toxic mentality. So I moved up to Bowling Green. I started at Western Kentucky University and it was a rough road because I started on academic probation. And I had to take all these remediation classes and I had mm-hmm. to meet with a counselor and all this stuff. And I think I was like sophomore or junior by the time I had gotten here. And then I met with my advisor and she was like, so, so what do you want to study? Cause I had started in photojournalism here. And so I ended up being an interdisciplinary studies major. So basically I built my own major because I couldn't just pick one. And I did communication, marketing, general business, and organizational communication, all of which I use every single day in what I do as an economic developer, which I had never heard of before I found myself in my previous job that led to my current job. So, you know, if I had never taken this path of like failing my way into this random degree, I never would have known that economic development existed, much less like how much I would love it. And I love going to work every day. I love getting to do what I do. But if I had never hit all of these roadblocks and if I just stopped and been like, well, I'll just, you know, do something else. I'll just quit and I'll just. Well, and the key to it is in the moment dealing with it as a failure. You can't have this notion of like, you know, the, the phrase failing into the path I'm meant to be on sounds a lot like everything happens for a reason, but you don't know what the reason is until you persevere through the failure and treat it like a failure because you're not going to come out the other side the same way. If it's like, Oh, well, everything happens for a reason. It's above me now. Um, it's almost like you have to, you have to, you have to sort of feel bad about it. You have to let it feel like a failure so that the thing that is inside of you that drives you feels that chink in its armor Mm -hmm. and rebuilds stronger and better for the next thing. Right. You have to go through it, not like around it. Exactly. The only way out is through. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I just, I sit back sometimes um, and look at my life now and, you know, all the different aspects of it and none of it would, I wouldn't have anything that I have now. I wouldn't be where I am now if it weren't for the things that led to today. And, you know, that's failure, that's good things, that's bad things. But I I try not to take the seasons of learning for granted. Because I know I did when I was in them, because I was like, this sucks. I would like Mm -hmm. to get on to the next thing. Like, all of my friends are doing this. I want to go figure it out. But 
But you're not entitled to the next thing. Exactly. You have to earn the next thing. Exactly. And I'll also say, too, a big part of understanding that sometimes failure is a part of life is accepting that other people will continue to see you as a failure. Mm -hmm. Everybody who thought I was going to go to college and become a teacher thought I was a failure. They might still. You know, I'm, I'm overweight. I'm a plus size woman. Somebody that is dedicated to fitness and that's their life, they probably see me as a failure. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of jobs in my time since graduating from college. Someone who's had the same job for 10 years and is building their career, they might see me as a failure. But I am not responsible for how other people perceive me. I am responsible for how I feel when I look in the mirror. And that is part of the acceptance of failure. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. And I can't, I've lost count of how many times in the last month you've told me that. So, (laughs) or like either told me, texted me, yelled it at me, some form of informing me and reminding me of that. Um, Because I mean, it's so easy, especially in a world of social media and where all we're receiving is like input from other people. It's so hard not to craft who we are based on and how we feel about ourselves based on other people's perception of us. Mm-hmm. But if we don't have a healthy perception of ourselves or a perception of ourselves at all, we can't be anything to anyone else. We're just like, like a like shell of a person. Like, no one can love you till you love your, till you love yourself. But that's usually only repl- uh, applied to romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And for me, the better word is validation. Nobody else is going to take the time and the effort and the energy to validate you unless you have self-validation literally exuding from you. Like you, you have to force other people to validate you, not by commanding them to do so, but in how you validate yourself, that it's just the norm, that people know Allie is someone who respects herself. I have no choice but to respect her or get out of her way. Absolutely. Um, so on the first episode, I talked a little bit about the Enneagram and my Enneagram type being type two. So what is your Enneagram type and how has that affected the way you, you view yourself and the way you view your relationships and things like that? My Enneagram is a three, which I think is the achiever. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, everything I read about it feels true (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, from my fears to the things that can hurt me to the way I feel about myself, the way I treat others. Um, But to be honest, it's sort of one of those things that um, you have to it's one of those things that you sort of have to have an uncomfortable conversation with yourself about Mm -hmm. because it points out your strengths. Sure. Those are great and really fun to repost to your Instagram story, (laughs) but you have to be open to it pointing out possibly some of your weaknesses too. Mm -hmm. So the Enneagram has been an interesting, uh, it's sort of like, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a Gemini too, based on my June 8th (laughs) birthday. And some of the things that make me love being a Gemini, other people don't love about me. Yeah. 
So it's like this constant back and forth of like, if you're going to trust the source enough to point out the good things, you kind of have to trust the source enough, the Enneagram itself, to point out things that you could work on. Oh, yeah. I mean, it'll straight up hurt your feelings. Like, I'll read things sometimes and I'm like, well, that, excuse you, that's rude. But then I stop and think about it and I'm like, oh, well, maybe I should work on that. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. The most, the, the most recent one that really just sent me, because of course, Harry Potter, Draco Malfoy, Enneagram <laughs> three, that's like so obvious. Draco Malfoy is also a Gemini. So like none of this is surprising to me. Right. Um, the one that really got me and we had talked about it recently was that I think it was Enneagram Ashton, mm-hmm. um, on Instagram that did the Marvel yes. comparisons and I got Iron Man. And I love Marvel. I am a mess for Bucky Barnes, like the whole thing. (laughs) But I have never once identified with the character of Iron Man. And I was like, oh, I don't think that's right. And then, man, Kelsey, the more I thought about it (laughs) and the more that I, I put Marvel movies on in the background of what I'm doing sometimes, I was like, you know what? Man, he's a little too self centered, but. He uses that self-centeredness to drive good things. I was like, oh, they got me. I got got. (laughs) You got got. Well, mine for Marvel was Spider-Man. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. Spider-Man, like, favorite comics growing up, favorite Marvel person. But then I started thinking about it, and I was like, a lot of people see Spider-Man as, like, weak and, like, weird and, like, all these things. And I was like, okay, don't spiral on this. How can we take this and make it positive (laughs) instead of focusing on, like, weakness? But but you don't get to do both. You don't get to only pull what you want from it, right? You have to have that moment with yourself where you're like, well, shoot, I feel really good about this comparison but I would be remiss not to take away some of the, you know, it, the, some of the areas I could possibly not improve on, but just gain a little bit more self-awareness. About. Yeah, well, because, I mean, I feel like without self-awareness, there's no growth. And without growth, you just stay the same person your entire life. And, you know, you could be hurting people without even realizing it. There are relationships that you could be growing and building that you don't have the opportunity to because you're choosing to be complacent in being exactly the same forever. And I think, I mean, this past year for me was a huge growth year because we didn't really have any opportunity to do anything for a while, but just sit and be with ourselves. I mean, I live in a one bedroom apartment. My my husband's usually on the road. He's been home for a year. And so we don't have outdoor space. Like we, we don't even have a balcony. So we right. have nothing to do, but just like sit here, talk to each other, spend time together, which Nine times out of 10 was great, but I'm also a very independent person and I'm like, I'm I'm also an introvert. And so I, I need my time, but I had to examine that about myself of, okay, like the difference between selfishness and self-care, the difference between me needing my time and me needing to just like be a wife and be a friend and be a person. Don't just say no for the sake of saying no or say yes for the sake of saying yes, like evaluating my responses to people and my responses to situations. And um, I think all in all, I mean, there were rough patches in 2020, just like there were for everybody. I mean, just like there is for every year. I feel like we make 2020 so big because there were so many things going on, but 
we would be remiss to say we could look back at any year of our lives and not see growth and change and understanding of ourselves. But I think so much was stripped away from us last year that all a lot of the distractions that we usually say like, oh, well, I don't want to pay attention to myself. So I'm going to just go out with my friends every night. I'm just going to like keep my schedule really busy so I don't have time to sit and like be introspective and figure out right. what's going on with my mental health. Right. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, it ended up being really, really great at, at the end of things. But, you know, getting through it instead of around it was was quite the journey. So let's see here. I have a few questions for you from people. Okay. So this first question is from a friend of mine named Emily, and she would like to know, in your experience, how do you believe culture is used and misused? She says, is cultural appropriation even real? There is a line of thought that cultures evolve over time and influence one another. So there's no true original culture out there. Wow. I know. <laughs> Shout oh, out, Emily. <laughs> your favorite thing at Starbucks. Um, <laughs> right. Um, I think what it comes down to with culture and cultural appropriation specifically is intent. Mm -hmm. If your intention is to appropriate a culture that is not yours, you know, air quotes around yours, right? to be the butt of a joke, a Halloween costume, mm -hmm. offensive, to harm someone, to weaponize, to create an other, then cultural appropriation is a problem. Right. If you are interested in learning and studying and immersing yourself into another culture, to make yourself smarter, more tolerant, more understanding, more worldly, then I don't think it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, everyone likes to pretend when they dress up like a Native American for Halloween, like, oh, it's just, it's harmless. This is a Halloween costume. Well, if the person who dresses like that every day of their lives is telling you that it's harmful, it's not up for you to decide. Right. Like it's the same thing as I don't think that white people should ever try and tell someone that's not white that they didn't think something was racist. It doesn't really matter what you think. Yeah. The person who is being oppressed feels this way. Mm -hmm. So I think what it, I mean, I think there's just a huge line in, you know, we can talk about one of the things we were talking about it at ladies night last night mm -hmm. is the the troublesome nature of the Kardashians <laughs> who on the surface look like they are, you know, they, one of them has a tequila company now. None of them know how to correctly pronounce the words of origin in their tequila company. Oh, no. So that's appropriation. They have, they have dipped into another culture mm -hmm. for their own financial gain. And yeah. they haven't really done the work to be worthy of that culture. Right. And to, to even just on a surface level, try and understand it and to pronounce the words correctly. Correct. Like 
Yeah, I mean, I think one of the notable stories with the Kardashians specifically is I was very impressed when I found out, and this may or not, may not be fake news. If it's fake news, I apologize. But I was under the impression that Kim Kardashian went out of her way and, and took classes on how to braid her children's hair. Mm-hmm. And that is the difference for me. Yeah. She didn't, you know, the, she didn't have these beautiful mixed children for the sake of aesthetic. She, she has learned about the culture that she knows nothing about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference. You know, if you had told me that Kendall Jenner took eight weeks of Spanish so that she could appropriately talk about her brand. Okay. Sure. I mean, eight weeks is better than nothing, but I think, I, I think I say all that to say, you know, you, you have to, you have to establish your own intent when, when finding out about another culture, um, and, and, you know, studying abroad, that's an interesting one, right? Cause a lot mm-hmm. of us do that. I never got the opportunity to do that, but I know a lot of people that did. And it's like a crash course in, in other cultures. Mm-hmm. And I know it changes a lot of people and they think that they're, they, they have come back with a new worldly view, but you know, they, they, they took in the culture that was presented to them. So it's complicated. I know you're probably very familiar with the idea of mission trips, you know, who are mission trips really for? Are they for the people who take pictures with a bunch of children that don't look like them and put it on their Facebook profile? Or do they truly go there for the sake of the work that needs to be done in these communities? It's so so much about the intention. Exactly. I think what it comes down to is your intent to to enter and and take in another culture or just even things that are different from you. I mean, every time you choose to listen to uh, the the R and B radio station on or versus the country radio station, you right. know, like it, it's just it it. it, it I'm, I'm having a hard time because you literally have to decide your intent every single day because right. of how accessible others, other different cultures are to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing about the the day and age we live in where we have access to so much information. And so, right. You know, but just being aware so, of your intent with accessing that information. It's so easy to go wrong with it, Kelsey, yeah. you know, because <laughs> of all the information that is right there. Right. So you have to know, you have to know what you're setting out to do. Well, and I think it's important too, to have people like in your corner to like check you on stuff, to be like, Hey, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you said this, I know your heart, I know what you meant, but this is how this may be perceived. And here's why not just like, Hey, don't say that. It's like a learning experience, a lesson, an opportunity for growth because I don't want to just be told, hey, don't do that and not understand why, you know? Yeah. And to take it back to like, you're, you know, this is how you could be perceived. You're not really responsible for how other people perceive you, right? We right. Like, establish that. But unless it's something that you're willing to defend, mm-hmm. you, you usually have a moment where you're like, that is not how I meant it at all. Right. Or the alternative where you're like, that's exactly how I meant it. And I'm prepared to defend it. Right. Yeah. That's the difference in like, uh, managing other people's perception of you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, next question or 
I guess kind of a two-part question um, from Ashley Lamana. She says, is there any one situation you can point to in your life when you realized that you needed to stop letting people, mainly men, walk all over you and take advantage of you? Yes. Um, And it unfortunately did not happen that long ago. Um, In my last job, I um, had a, a male boss. Mm-hmm. who I can look back now and know that he is intimidated by powerful women would have been really helpful if I had known that going in. Um, I wouldn't have changed how I behaved. I would have maybe tempered my expectations though. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very good at my job. I put in 45, 50, 55 hours a week sometimes. Um, and I applied for the same promotion twice and did not get it. Uh, the first time they, brought in someone from the outside. So I sort of understood like, okay, this person has qualities that I don't bring to the table. And, you know, sometimes a fresh new person seems more appealing than the person you've gotten to know for the past eight months, because with new people, you don't know what you don't know. You just know their strengths. That's what an interview does. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the downside of applying for a promotion within your own company is your weaknesses have, you know, exposed themselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, I trained her how to do the job <laughs> that I had applied for oh, no. that I had earned in, in my mind that I had earned and I had to train her how to do it. It was humiliating. I mean, it was so defeating. Yeah. And then she only stayed for three months and I thought, man, oh man, I failed into something, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't get it the first time I pushed through, I, I acted with integrity at every turn and now my time has come. Mm-hmm. And I applied and I interviewed and I didn't get it. And he gave it to a 23 year old that had worked at our uh, facility for about two months. Oh, no. And it was then that I realized that you can do all of the right things, but if it's for the wrong person, it mm-hmm. doesn't matter. And no- nothing that I ever did would be good enough. And that I had to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, we had a conversation where I literally just said, you know, ha- have I met my ceiling here? Have, is this it? Because I thought I had earned the promotion the first time. And then I was met with some, you know, humility. And mm-hmm. I really thought I earned it the second time based on how I acted the first time. Um, and I just realized it was, it was a place that I was never going to have a seat at the table. Yeah. I was turned down uh, ideas in meetings. If I had a good idea, my boss would literally pivot and assign that in his mind to someone else. Like within 20 minutes, he'd be like, yeah, so this is a great idea that so-and-so had. Not me, even though I said it in front of everyone. I mean, it was just the mental gymnastics to not give me credit as a woman was crazy. Um, But I left a job that I loved and that I was really good at, Mm -hmm. and that I had earned some freedom and some seniority. But all of the good things in the world do not matter if you don't feel valued. And it was that case of like, I value myself so much. How could you not see it? And how can you disagree with me so much that you're not just, you're not just not valuing me. You're disagreeing in my self-valuation. Right. And so I left a lot of good things 
And um, I was rewarded with something better where I am valued and I am heard and I am promoted and I am, I just feel so much better. And I had to be a little scared and, and leave this job that checked so many boxes. Mm -hmm. But I just knew, I just knew I was never, ever going to get the respect that I thought I deserved. And I wasn't willing to back down on the respect that I thought I deserved. I think that's what happens a lot when people stay in jobs that work really well for them, but they're not treated fairly. Mm -hmm. They lower their expectation. And I'm never going to lower my expectation, not at a job, not of my husband, not of you, Kelsey. I mean, you don't do anybody any favors when you lower your expectations of them so that you can meet a lower bar. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talked about that earlier this week about, um, you know, in relationships and not just romantic relationships. Like when I say relationships, I mean with, with friends, with coworkers, with family, whatever, that so much you hear about it being 50, 50. And you said this, um, last week, Derek, my husband has said that to me before that it's not 50, 50, it's 100, 100. And like, you need to be giving 100% of yourself. And if the other person isn't, isn't doing that, then it's not, it's not taking away from the 100% that you're putting in. But it's all, yeah, it's ultimately like two whole people. Mm -hmm. If you are seeking, that's why I hate the phrase, the other half, my other half. If you are seeking your other half, you are your other half. Right. (laughs) Because you should be a whole person. Exactly. And the relationships that I have seen thrive the best in my life, myself included, praise God, are the ones where, it's not, it's not like totally independent for happiness and respect and validation. And it's, it's people who have established that they feel that way about themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they've invited other people to feel about them, uh, feel that way about them too. Yeah. Because if you're expecting another person, whether it be a spouse, a boyfriend, a friend, whatever it may be, if you're expecting that other person to give you happiness, to give you validation, they're going to let you down. Like, it doesn't matter how pure their intentions are. It doesn't matter how hard they try. They're going to disappoint you and they're going to let you down because we can't depend on another human being to be what we need to be for ourselves. Exactly. And then you're faced with, do I forgive this and move on? Mm -hmm. When really the only person you ever owe any forgiveness to over and over again is yourself. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, So the second part of Ashley's question was um, she said that you were seen as a pillar of strength, in her opinion, and um, that she was really drawn to um, to you via social media and via um, the Rotten Banana podcast um, because of that. And so she said, how do you unwind at home from being known as the strong one who can handle anything? Um, So. To get a question like that from someone like Ashley, because I also see Ashley that way, mm-hmm. and it's almost more overwhelming when, like, people compliment things in you that you admire in them, because you're yeah. like, no, 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 here's That's a mirror, you. turn this around, <laughs> right. this is you, I am holding a mirror, I am reflecting back onto you the compliment that you just gave me, right. because I think you are so deserving, too. Um, Man, that's a hard question, because, like, it's it's really the the 
the phrase, you know, check on your strong friends Mm -hmm. because we, people like me, Enneagram threes, Geminis, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) um, really pride ourselves in our ability to be there for other people. And it's not just being there for other people, but it, it's the assumption that we know how to be there for ourselves too. Mm -hmm. Like, like I can take on your weight. uh, I can shoulder your burden because I've got all mine figured out. Right. Like that's what a pillar of strength people think that means Mm -hmm. is like, it definitely leads to people unloading their weight onto you. But just because I carry it well, does not mean it's not heavy. Um, So I don't really have like specific ways that I unwind, but I have gotten into the habit of making really small victories feel like really big ones. And that sort of, and like just sort of connecting these small victories to keep things going. So when it comes to like unwinding or like if I've had a hard day or like I'm just not feeling as strong as I think I should Mm -hmm. it's finding a small victory that helps like and it's why like on social media I feel like I overshare so much (laughs) but it's not in a braggadocious way it's that the smallest of things felt so big to me today because that's really what I needed to get me through. So then the other thing is I have such an amazing support system. And even on the days where strong people don't feel strong, having the right people in your corner become more important than ever. Because I think there's like a notion where, you know, strong people, as long as they have themselves, they don't need those people in their corner. But I'll tell you right now, I need my husband. Like, <laughs> I want him and I need him, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think our partnership is so loving and, and full of respect and support mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel like, and I've been in relationships where I sacrificed something of myself to oh, make yeah. the relationship work. Mm-hmm. And neither one of us have ever had to do that. So when it comes to those days where you're feeling like you're not at your best, having someone who can come and know you better than anyone and make up for what you're lacking Mm -hmm. is so important. And my husband, Brian, I am so freaking blessed every day that he is my husband. And I, and I don't want this to sound like you know, if you want to be happy, you have to go out and find a husband. I got myself happy. And then that happiness attracted the man of my dreams. So you you don't find it until you're at your 100%. We talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, two whole people. I don't think I would have found, I don't think Brian and I would have found the same attraction to each other and, and we met when we were 20. So I know this to be true. Right. <laughs> we were whole people then. So the attraction was different. We have grown together. We have learned together. And um, the, the fear that someone's going to like outgrow you doesn't happen when you're growing together. Right. Because you're going in the same direction. So I think when it comes to like unwinding, whatever the case might be, he, he, he truly is like 
when when all is lost and I've lost my 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 inner support system. I'm so freaking fortunate to have him in my corner. Yeah, and he can just come and like meet you where you are. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So next question is from Eduardo. And he says, and this is kind of this kind of feeds off of Ashley's question. What inspires you to be so confident? <laughs> um, I don't want to be seen as someone who encourages confidence in others and doesn't deliver for myself. Like I, you have experienced it firsthand, Kelsey. I literally demand self-love out of my friends. Mm-hmm. And it is my expectation of you that you will love you the way that I love you Mm -hmm. because you deserve to see yourself through the eyes of the people who love you and respect you. And I think in turn, being the type of person that I am, if I had someone who was preaching self-love and self-confidence to me, but they didn't go to bat for themselves the same way, why am I going to take their advice? Yeah. You won't stand up for yourself the way you want me to stand up for me? No. So I have just become a person who I, I don't know what made me this way. <laughs> but I think it's it's literally in an effort to lead by example. If that's what I'm going to demand out of the people that I love and that I cherish, I have to do it for myself too. Yeah. Otherwise, you're taking a class from a teacher who has no experience. Right. All right. Um, So this is a little more of a fun question. It's from my friend Krista. She wants to know, who was your childhood role model? Ooh, good one. Childhood role role model. Okay, so my first role model was hands down Icebox from Little Giant. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) What? That she is, had it all what? figured out. She played on the boys football team. <laughs> if you had asked me what I wanted to do when I was like nine years old, I would have told you I wanted to coach an NFL team because that's what I wanted to do and what I thought my dad would want to hear. <laughs> Becky, the icebox, played football in a cheerleading skirt and was better than all the boys and still got her man at the end. <laughs> nothing of, like as you're explaining this, nothing about it is surprising me. <laughs> Um, but the real answer, (laughs) the real answer would be, um, Sophia Bush. I think that will be a surprise to no one. No Um, one. Sophia played Brooke Davis on, uh, One Tree Hill for nine years. And, um, her character went from this, like, sort of vain, conceited, didn't care about anybody else, really, uh, she was the villain. I mean, she literally yeah. went from being the villain to being the most beloved character on the show. And it's because of how her character treated other people and how her character gave herself permission to love herself and others. Um, and, and Sophia Bush in real life sort of went on the same path. Mm -hmm. She married her co-star very early, let the love of a man validate her. And what do you know? He let her down. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, she has literally built a better version of herself 
on the back of the previous one. And that's all we ever want to do. Right. She has taken her her time on One Tree Hill and and learned things from living in Wilmington. I mean, she, you know, fights for small communities. I mean, I think this is politically speaking, but throughout the country because she didn't shoot her TV show in Los Angeles. She shot it in Wilmington, and that was a different experience mm-hmm. to be in a smaller community. And so I won't get too long-winded about Sophia. We could do an entire <laughs> podcast on Sophia. But, um, yeah, I think I, I have really tried to um, just give myself permission to feel the, the 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 feelings and the experiences and the emotions of the world in the same way that Sophia has. I love that. And how she shares it. I think that's the important part too, is that she turns around and shares it with people, thereby giving themselves permission too. Absolutely. Well in in just on the surface level with her too, she just seems like one of those people that would be a great freaking time to hang out with. Yeah, right. And I mean, you're the same way. So I think <laughs> like just on very vain surface level, I can see it too. Well, thank you. All right. So this next question is from the infamous corn dog Katie. Yay. <laughs> and she wants to know what inspired you to start your small business? Tell us a little bit about it. And did you teach yourself? Cool. Um, thanks for asking, Cornell Katie. Um, I so I own a small business called Cooper and Brook. Um, I make clay earrings. Everything is made by hand. That's all the rage right now. <laughs> There's about a million people doing it on Etsy. Um, I made jewelry a long time ago. It started with um, I went to my best friend's bachelorette party. I guess this was ten years ago because she got married in 2011. Went to my best friend's bachelorette party and I bought these pair of shoes. I was working kind of my first like big girl job and I had big girl money to spend on big girl shoes. And that's what I did. And I kept looking for earrings that would like complement my shoes and my plain black dress. I didn't find anything. So I made something myself. And then other friends who were going to be in weddings or whatever needed a custom pair of earrings or a necklace or what have you started asking me to make it. And I started my business, I guess in like 20, yeah, 2011, 2012, like shortly thereafter. And I was making a lot of like beaded crystally, um, jewelry. Mm -hmm. And then I stopped doing it a few years ago. I just didn't really have time. And, um, with COVID, I had time, <laughs> like we all did, um, and really wanted something that I could channel that energy into, um, you know, because our opportunity is decreased, but our energy and our need for um, using our brains <laughs> right. did not. So um, if anything, it increased, you know, the the need to do something with your hands or use your brain and do a puzzle or whatever. So I bought some clay and uh, gave it a try. And my first round was horrendous. And then my second round, I burnt. <laughs> oh, no. And then I finally did okay with my third round. But I didn't actually sell anything until my fourth or fifth. Um, intentionally. I didn't list anything for sale. Yeah. 
Um, but it's just been this really amazing thing that um, I find myself sort of trying to manage my time a little bit more appropriately now that we are heading back in the direction of, of normal. Yeah. Um, that I have to say, you know, like, I can't sit up every night and do this until midnight and then get up and go to work in the morning. Right. So <laughs> I'm definitely at sort of a not a crossroads with it because I know I'm going to keep going, but I am setting the expectation for myself now so that in a month, two months, three months, when we're all, you know, hopefully doing normal things, mm-hmm. I prepared myself for my time management needs to yeah. change. Um, well, I know that last week, Kelsey, mm-hmm. you talked a lot about fear. Mm-hmm. That was what your episode was based on. And I think this week it'll probably be based on failure, right? Mm-hmm. And they go so hand in hand um, because you can be afraid of failure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and your failure can lead to fear mm-hmm. to try and do the next thing. And you get in this really toxic cycle of not wanting to try something new or even something not new. You're just so afraid to fail that it paralyzes you in what you're willing to do or talk about or meet people or whatever. So I just want to share with you that I'm very proud of you um, because I know that this is a scary thing to do. And I know that, you know, like we said at the top, like every single day you wake up is there's the potential to fail, but then you add on new scary things and the potential to fail extrapolates and that's so scary but you are overcoming your own fear and telling fear and failure to shut up (laughs) and that the only voice inside your head is your own and I'm just really proud of you well I really appreciate that um, here we go getting emotional here we go. <laughs> no, no surprise there um but no I, I really do appreciate that I've gotten I've gotten messages from people um you know over the last week and it's just it's been really exciting it's been really encouraging um just to see the different ways people have related to the podcast or ideas that it's created for me to do things and it's encouraged people and it's just, it's just so cool. And I'm so thankful that something that can be as toxic as social media has brought me some of the most incredible people that I would have never met otherwise. And I think it's the coolest thing ever. (laughs) And it just proves that proximity to a human being does not a friendship make. And totally. Like, but it also proves, Kelsey, that you are given back what you exude. I promise you, <laughs> sorry for cursing, shitty people don't go on the internet and become friends with good people. They find the other shitty people. So, <laughs> right. you know, the opportunity to meet really special people online and, you know, even in your real life, right. but specifically on the internet, you are going to get back what you put out. So if you are getting back a bunch of negativity and toxicity, it might have something to do with what you're putting out there. And um, 
yeah, I don't know. I just think I'm so proud of you for doing this and I'm so flattered to be your first guest. And I, I know that you're the type of person who will see the, the value in doing something like this for you and hopefully give permission to other people to do the same. And I, I keep kind of like quoting my favorite poem uh, by Marianne Williamson. I like literally quote it to myself all the time that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. And at the end, she says, as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And that literally drives my whole life in that if I can be so self-confident and, and understand my own self-worth and love myself and respect myself and all the things, I will unconsciously ask other people to do the same because I'm not any more deserving of, of feeling this way, of this confidence and this self-love than anyone else. Yeah. I have just decided that it's, it's the gift I'm going to give myself. Because like I said, the only voice inside your head should be your own. Yeah. So how are you going to use that voice? Is the voice inside your head going to be nice to you? Or is the voice inside your head going to be mean to you? So I hope that by other people seeing you take this leap of faith and ignoring your fear and ignoring the potential to fail, that they feel empowered to do the same for themselves. And that is exactly my hope as well. So thank you, Allie, so much again for taking time to sit down with me virtually and talk about (laughs) failing upward and your story up until this point. And for everyone out there listening, that is all for this episode of The People Project. Once again, thank you so much for joining me. And please be sure to subscribe and leave me a review to let me know what you thought of this episode and what you want to see in the future. 